Alright, well, hello everybody. Uh, welcome to another edition of the Value Line Observer with the values of the value guys. I am a 30-year Wall Street veteran who has gone underground and taken on a secret identity in order to provide you with my candid views on a handful of stocks out of each week's Value Line Investment Survey. You've seen my face on TV, you've seen me quoted in the news, but my bosses would never allow my unfiltered views on the air, and so I've disguised my voice, and they'll never know. This week, I'm looking at the May 21st, 2010 edition of the Value Line Investment Survey, um, and the show is approximately on time um, this week. And the format, if I have any new listeners, is I'm going to have a little bit of a section of the show I like to call it would help my portfolio if it's kind of a rant but it ends up I've named it so there you are and then I have three ideas out of this week's value line investment survey uh, but before I get to that a couple of caveats first this show is for entertainment purposes only uh, as I like to say that's not a guarantee that's particularly true tonight and I'll get to that in a minute Secondly, I have a lot of conflicts of interest, including the possibility that I may be giving the advice that's opposite to my own interests to, uh, you know, to help stocks I own by saying you should sell them or buy them. I don't know. Anyway, um, and uh, and thirdly, this is most importantly, I may be completely uninformed. It's just after work. I'm paging through Value Line. Circumstances this week are particularly uh, difficult, so uh, I'm just bare bones here. Um, so, and I've just got Value Line. And for the first time in the show's history, which is about four and a half years, I don't have physical copies of Value Line. I'm just actually looking at the Value Line on the screen. Um, I'm traveling. I'm in one of the Dakotas right now. I don't want to say where. Uh, visiting a dear uh, relative. And so uh, the show's late, and I apologize. And I, I missed last week. Again, it's been busy in the shop. I'm hoping to get to those, uh, you know, early May. Let's see what date is here. I guess it would be the May 14th I'm skipping just going to May 21st. So I apologize for that. Uh, see this caveat and other caveats at the website www.thevalueguys.com and let me apologize if this show seems like it's getting off to you know something you're not that interested in just tune into a past show. This might not be the best show. I do have three pretty solid ideas this week but I'm, I'm sleep deprived I've flown all night and day to get here. Believe me, there was no easy connection in here. I had to drive a long way in addition to that. And I'm happy to be here in one sense, but on the other hand, um, it you know it's difficult to get here. And, and it was I guess I'd made it as fun as possible. Um, and so I'm at a hotel. I don't even I never heard of it. I don't have internet access right now. I, why? I don't know. It's unbelievable. So I'm recording this uh, on my uh, phone, 
and simultaneously on my laptop in the hopes that somehow I can connect this to the internet and to the show and to the to you know the, the site and iTunes etc. Meantime, I was also out celebrating a little bit, and it's the middle of the night, and I started to get so far behind in the show that guilt completely kicked in. We have a lot of great listeners on the show, and I appreciate everyone that listens in. And so I do try to come up with some decent ideas. But as I said a few weeks ago, it's been so busy lately. All of a sudden, um, you know, people you know wanted to meet. And my time uh, and everyone's time in the business, I think, is ramped up. Now, the last couple of weeks, you know, it's a little uh, uh, gotten a little scary again. Um, obviously concerns about further bank failures in Europe, etc. And, you know, I'm not going to say some of those fears aren't justified. Um, we still have all the other negatives ahead of us in terms of specifically tax increases on income, uh, tax increases on capital, increased taxes on health care. And because of the leverage in the banks, if you have to be concerned about more bank failures, which reduces overall lending capacity uh, and reduces returns on capital, um, then the punishment of, um, of, of new capital investment, investors have gotten a little skittish. So again, if you take a long-term view, you have to look at those things as opportunities. Uh, even if your current clients aren't that happy, and some aren't, you know, they're not blaming us personally, of course. But um, when you look around at alternatives to equities, you know, really, uh, returns on capital in business uh, at good companies, there's a lot of companies earning 15 to 20 percent returns on capital, and that's a good return compared to what you can earn at the bank. So um, you know, I would say an alternative to um, buying stocks, if you can muster it, is to start a little business. Because, look, you're starting it at book. You do have startup risks. But if you can find a niche and be nimble, and you can do it when you're young, when you don't have a lot of need, immediate needs for income, you know, that's your best return on capital. Um, if you want to you know, uh, earn returns through the securities markets, you don't have a lot of choices. I mean, your next best one is equities. Now, there's you hear a lot about derivatives and all that, but basically my view would be uh, derivatives are really just equities in some location in the world, um, levered in some way using bonds or options or futures or uh, puts or calls or various things like that. And so at the bottom of it, you've got businesses having to generate returns on capital that ultimately drive returns even in all the so-called alternatives markets, etc. Um, and so I get back to the notion that um, when you see these sorts of near-term fears, uh, if you take the longer view, look for good businesses, um, there is volatility in equities, but it's still uh, way better over the long term than, you know what, cash? Uh, I guess inflation is low right now, so holding cash really has got the uh, best return it's had in years and years. So, um, 
you know, by all means. The banks aren't paying much. Um, munis increasingly aren't as risk-free as people thought. Uh, the tax benefits there are going to be better but uh, because of the rising tax rates. But ultimately, equities, if you want to take a long view and you think about compounding at even 10%, you know, which has been the long-term S&P return, there was a spate of years where the S&P returned uh, in the 20s, and it got people every, you know, everywhere thinking that was sustainable. But the long-term return on the S&P 500, if you just want to look big picture, has been, uh, you know, nine, ten percent, probably nine. It got to ten at one point, and maybe the downturn uh, brought it to nine. So, uh, yeah, I think that if you do some homework, you can you can do better than that in the equity markets. Um, how did I get off on that? That's not even a typical rant. So I apologize. What have you? Um, my rant this week would simply be, uh, I'll try to tie it into the rant I just had, um, that uh, I think that uh, this bill that's passing the House and Senate uh, with the uh, financial restrictions, you know, uh, the, I'm, I, I'm not having a lot of problem with it, honestly. And I'd be happy to if I were going to have a problem. I'd be happy to have one. I'm not having one here. Why? Well, they want to uh, regulate derivatives a little bit. Uh, I don't have any issue with that. You're levering things up to the point where you do have a lot of risk of failure, and the people in charge, as agents of the true ownership of the capital behind the investment, you know, they, they may have a different risk-reward than the entity itself. It makes sense to step in. It certainly makes sense to separate those sort of risky endeavors from the endeavors that obviously society and the government wants to protect, which is banking, Main Street banking for consumers. Uh, and those are the, that's the, you know, that's the process that the bailout was meant to help, I think, in everyone's minds. And which banks should be too big to fail? Well, the ones that help Main Street with loans, etc. Okay, I get that. To split off the derivatives business just seems to me to be uh, a modern-day version of Glass-Steagall, which was separating the commercial banks from the investment banks. And, uh, you know, I think the moral hazard is to attach the investment banks to the part of the bank that the government's bailing out or protecting, because then you do have the risk that, um, you know, agents will take risks that are inappropriate uh, to drive compensation. And I get that. I've been in the business. Uh, I was I saw that side and you know there are those sorts of incentives so the penalty for that should be your company loses all its money and everyone loses their jobs and so the owners will keep a close look at that because of the risk to their own uh, net worth and lifestyle so definitely split that off don't <laughs> make that too big to fail and don't um, you know uh, don't don't, don't protect it uh, as, a, as a government. But the commercial banks protect. I get that, and I think that's the main thing. The other thing is um, regulation on the hedge funds. Come on, hedge funds, please. I'm an RIA, and it's not that big of a deal, you know. You hire someone, they handle it, and that's it. 
And um, I think when you have a world where doctors are registered, lawyers are registered, cab drivers are registered, uh, restaurants are registered, pilots are registered, uh, every government worker is registered. So come on, hedge fund guys, you can register. I think the you know the number was a hundred million. Um, certainly, if you have a hundred million under management as a hedge fund, you can afford to hire the person who can just handle that for you. And uh, you know, so I don't have any problem with that. That seemed like the two big issues in it. I'm okay with it. Um, I don't know why Wall Street you know would worry about that. I don't think that was the reason for the decline. I think it was more related to the concerns about the failure of the banks. So uh, that's my rant. I don't know. I got off on something. It would help my portfolio if um, all this, you know, fear would get out of the market. But again, right now, with a little fear in there, we've got some good opportunities. So let me get to three ideas this week. Uh, I don't have the physical paper in front of me because I'm trapped in a hotel in uh, the middle of nowhere. And so I barely, I barely can even put up a show. I just felt like I needed to do it. And I, I know the sound quality is terrible. Um, my most important caveat, which I forgot to mention, is I have been drinking. Let's face it. I'm out here. There's nothing going on. I've answered a few emails, and I'm looking through Value Line. And so I decided to do the show. Um... It was an interesting week, a lot of software, so I ended up going through there. And the thing I look for in software, the thing that you know, I think you can buy with conviction during a period where the market is, uh, you know, giving up, you know, some fear, is uh, is annuities and uh, and uh, software. You know, with big exit costs for users, etc., is a good place to look around. Um, and outsourcing and things like that. So it was a nice issue for that. I could get more into it, but I don't actually have the table of contents here. So I forget what else was in there. I think a bunch of banks. And again, banks right now, um, you know, we're, I'm doing a bank software company, so I'll get into it at that point. But we're overbanked. And so, uh, you know, I think banks are cheap. It's like, you don't know which ones are going to go broke, but some are. But a basket probably makes a lot of sense. In some, just but by good geography anyway. You know, we'll get to that some other time. Uh, first step this week. What am I doing? I, I I did kind of page through all the stocks this week, and I liked Accenture, ticker ACN, uh, and again bare bones, but page twenty five sixty nine. Now, what did I like about Accenture? I actually made a few notes here on the little pad that the hotel uh, was kind enough to provide me here because I can't write on my screen over this computer. So um, so I'm looking at Accenture. Well, they've got a history of pretty strong returns. This, of course, is the part of uh, Arthur Anderson um, that was the consulting business. And they... Uh, uh, they do, you know, communications, high-tech, things that are going to strategically help your business. You know, they're going to get involved. What they do is they, don't, they do everything, but they don't do the accounting for the part that went down and they spun out wisely. 
but they earn 50% returns on capital. They have no debt. So right there, I'm interested. The valuation is a discount to the market PE. I see that across the top of value line. So again, I'm interested in that. It's cheap and high returns on capital. So I like, I want to keep look, looking. Uh, operating margins, they're in the mid-teens. They've been consistently growing. So that tells me that they might be getting a little bit of leverage there or they're getting into higher value businesses, higher value per hour. Maybe they're getting more, uh, you know, price per job sorts of things that works out to a better hourly. Now, I don't know, but whatever it is, it looks like someone's in charge of making that number go up and they're having some success at it, so I like that. Um, their tax rate is, uh, you know, sort of stays on the low side. So again, you'd expect them to be managing that well and they seem to be doing that. They're headquartered in Dublin, Ireland, and my guess is that wasn't always the case because I think Arthur Anderson was in Chicago, uh, Illinois, and so, but this company's in Dublin, so that makes some sense. Um, revenues, you know, the problem with it, of course, revenues have been flat, so the market doesn't like that. It never trades at a giant premium or anything, but right now it's trading at a bigger discount than normal. And yet, I think that if you, you know, I like to talk about themes. In this one, I think it might be that um, outsourcing is gaining share on total GDP uh, simply because I think, you know, core competency is driving organizations and they do a lot of outsourcing. And I can just, you know, look at myself and my own organization. We outsource a lot and we just try to do the things we know how to do. And even though we don't know how to do all of them, uh, we do try our best at uh, fewer than maybe companies used to. And we outsource the rest as people smarter than us. And I think everybody's doing that. And Accenture, you know, they're certainly in there. They're going to get the call to bid a project or something. And, um, you know, I don't know anything about market shares on uh, what they're doing. But, um, you know, clearly the business fell off, you know, broadly back in late 08 and 09, just right in tune with GDP and everything else. Um, my expectation would be they'll grow a GDP plus a little bit because outsourcing will gain share. And so, you know, that's a nice wind at your back. They've got strong margins. They've got great brand. Um, and uh, they've moved to protect it in this whole Tiger Woods thing. They were very quick to drop Tiger uh, to protect the brand and um, you know I think that was a smart move from for them um, they have a history of buying back stock so they know what to do with their excess capital and on an enterprise value to EBITDA basis you know I don't I didn't do my uh, homework here but let's see 36 you know it looks to be about eight times so I'll look at the inverse of that, 1 over 8, 12.5% on a cash-on-cash -cash basis, meaning if I bought the whole company and got the right to that cash flow, I'd have a 12.5% yield on that. And then, uh, you know, Value Line thinks that earnings are going to grow 9%, which, you know, that's probably fine. That means I got a yield of 12.5%. The value of my company, assuming a stable you know, uh, valuation multiple of earnings. The value of my company is going to grow at the rate of earnings growth. 
Um, and so 9% growth in value, which is cap gains ultimately if I'm a private buyer, and the 12.5% yield, uh, which, uh, you know, maybe that's somehow normal tax rates. So I start to look at that as a group of wealthy individuals. They could do this or they could do what? Buy a bond at 5% or something like that. So ultimately, businesses like this have value. And um, this one, I would think um, that's a pretty, pretty good yield. So I like this. Accenture, um, page uh, 2569. Let's see. Next up, oh, and this is one where I had some problems. Um, I was looking at Fiserv on page 2588, and Mantech, let me see if I can switch to this right now. Got, uh, so Fiserv, trying to load it here, and Mantech. My production values are really slipping here on the show, but, um, all right, so first I was looking at Mantech, which it's in the uh, software section, and they're a provider to defense, um, and they're cheap, which is what first caught my eye. They're a 25% discount to the market PE. Um, but then I look down here, returns on capital, you know, low teens, operating margin 9%, which it's just rock solid at 9, which to me looks like a cost plus situation, uh, a cost plus 10% because uh, 100 over 110 I think is, you know, 91%. That gets you your 9%. So it's the math pretty easy on that. And so that means there's no leverage on uh, to your upside for new business. And while revenues have grown pretty fast, operating margin hasn't moved at all. It's still 9%. So again, it's costs, operating costs, plus 10%. That's got to be the formula with the government. And then their returns on capital stay around uh, 11, 12, 13%. That almost just seems managed, you know, again. So they've got an accounting department that decides to value assets on the basis of the uh, demonstrable return. And if you do play that, you can keep your return on... Uh, capital fairly stable. It's probably, I mean, what is their capital? I don't know. Fleets of cars and desks and buildings and things? I don't know. Uh, I guess computers and such. But um, there's probably a lot of leeway in there. The other thing I ended up not liking, in case you haven't figured it out, I'm, I ended up not liking this one, was that um, one guy, Mr. G.J. Peterson, owns 100% of Class B Common. And it doesn't, I don't have all the details here, but undoubtedly that means he controls the board and and his own salary and things like that. So I think that's commendable, and I certainly respect that, that someone could get themselves in that situation. I mean, this company has nearly $3 billion in revenue, so um, he's the chairman and CEO, and he owns all the stock. Um, and so I respect uh, what he's achieved clearly, but I'm not sure that as the what else, yeah, what I would own the A stock would end up being that kind of a deal. So I kept going, and I had this toss up because I ended up with four stocks, 
and uh, excuse me one second this air conditioner just popped on and it's like bothering me wait a minute I gotta turn it off somehow Wow that's starting to hurt my throat I don't know if even maybe maybe it was coming through on the recording here oh wow I apologize just had to take take a drink um, so anyway uh, Mantech dropped off you know I picked four Mantech was number four it didn't make it for those reasons although I was attracted to the valuation so what was next up was uh, I want to give you the page numbers it's kind of a tradition here on the show let's see Fiserv page 2588 um, ticker F-I-S-V. And again, I'm just going off a PDF file on my computer because I don't have a printer. I, I talked to my wife earlier, who I'm missing very much here, and she, uh, she said, oh, yeah, they're right here. So they're not lost. Okay. I actually did some work on this. I've been waiting to do the show for a couple days. And uh, I missed the 14th again. I apologize. I don't know what's happening here, but my whole schedule changed at year end, and it's just, uh, I don't know. It's gotten harder to do the show every week. Um, so, where am I here? Fiserv. Okay, what's going on with Fiserv? Well, Fiserv, again, attracted to the valuation. It's. Um, a 22% discount to the market PE, and then Value Line gives me some data here with a relative PE ratio going way back, and it's a discount to any number on the page. So I'm attracted to that. You know, again, I don't know much about this. Well, I know a little bit, but no more than you'd know if you just read a 10K or something like that. But what they have is they have a lot of clients who are banks, and they provide all the software to run a bank. So you can imagine, once somebody is using your software to run their bank they, they're not just going to turn that off it's pretty secure you know it's your it's your business to uh, to own as long as you serve it well because even if someone were going to try to undercut you on price you know the whole idea that uh, a bank wants to you know entrust someone uh, with that responsibility because it's a little cheaper. I mean, if it doesn't work, there's just way too much risk. So you're pretty entrenched. Excuse me. And so you see that in the margin. Long history of mid-20s, upper 20s. According to Value Line, this year and next are in the low 30% operating margin. So if something's going on, there's a, a delta there. It could just be a price increase. I mean, it's uh, it's hard to say no when you think of the switching cost. An entire organization having to relearn. You've got teams of salespeople from the uh, the new vendor, the former competitor, and they they're trying to train everybody. And it's uh, you know you got big lines in your lobby all over the country going, what the heck? Why don't you know my balance, etc. So. It's definitely an inflation plus type of price increase, and um, 
you know that's a you see that a little bit in their margin now their return on capital again I I would expect to see a better one uh, you know some sometimes a low return on capital to me just reflects a reluctance to write assets off um, you know that are no longer earning decent returns and at some point you know you just have to say well that's impaired I don't know where that line is it's one thing to not like about accounting current accounting is that if it's impaired you write it off and so the current balance sheet doesn't really reflect the investment in the assets that are um, running the business but rather more of a sort of you know not a market value but a current value and so you gotta look through past financials to find out what all the write-offs were in order to get a true sense of what the company's historic returns were or even just to get an incremental return from a point in time to another point in time you know you gotta go through and look at the, the write-offs um, to get a true picture of that so I don't know I, maybe they're not doing that they do have a little bit of leverage uh, so their return on equity is uh, in the mid-teens that's you know that's certainly respectable um, you can't call it great by any means but it's certainly respectable their debt to cap is fifty percent so that's higher than I'd want of course but on the other hand the stability of their operating earnings is uh, something you definitely have to take into consideration when you are judging how risky a particular you know debt to capital ratio is in this case they're five times covered meaning that um, their operating income is five times the level of their interest so it would have to go down I mean obviously if it goes to zero it's not covered if they lose money it's not covered it goes without saying but it would have to go down eighty percent before uh, they couldn't pay the interest and you look back here and the margin is uh, you know consistent companies never lost money I'm just looking here um, if they ever had a down year in net earnings and they haven't I mean, even during this whole period that we've just been through all up earnings so that's worth paying something for and right now the market isn't uh, charging us anything for that so I like that um, on an enterprise value to EBITDA basis, you know they have a little bit of debt, so I'm going to look at the market cap at eight billion, the debt at a 3.5. That gives me 11.5, um, and I'm going to subtract the debt, which is 400, so that gets me back to like 11. What? Oh, let's just say 11 billion, just so my the math is easy. Um, we've got 34% operating margin on 4.3 billion, so. Again, it'll help me with the math here. I'm just going to make it easy on myself and say that's roughly 1.5 billion in operating uh, margin, which in value line speak is an EBITDA. So what did I just say? 1.5, and then um, I had 11 billion over here. Um, eight, 11.5. Uh, so you know, it's about what's that? Nine times, something like that eight times I can't tell I don't have a calculator eight times let's just say so twelve and a half percent return um, on a cash on cash basis and then a value line thinks earnings are going to grow close to ten percent so what does that get me in the low twenties um, 
that's a pretty good return. I like it. I like the annuity, and I like the safety in the sense that um, they're tied into banking. The risk here is, of course, the consolidation in banking, and you know the net customers you have go down. But on the other hand, uh, all that business to integrate different banks and different systems and all that probably powers you through on a revenue basis. So I don't have too much concern about that. And then finally, and I apologize for, uh, again, I, I, I haven't listened to this, but it's a bad, uh, bad audio day, I'm sure, um, just due to my primitive setup. But uh, the last stock I have to talk about is uh, what? I'm just trying to pull this up on my computer. Oh, yeah, Oracle. This is all in my kitchen, by the way. Would have been so much easier. Uh, Oracle, ticker O-R-C-L, page, uh, again, I wrote this down. This is so amusing to myself. 2600 So good, I had that. I don't know why I have this thing about the page numbers. Is anyone paging along? Just, you know what, it could save me a lot of grief. Just, if you're listening this long, you... You must be a fan of the show, so help me out. You know what I'm talking about. I've got this thing about the page numbers. So write in, val at thevalueguys.com. Do me a favor and just tell me, do you care what the page numbers are? Are you reading along with the page numbers? Help me out, you know. Save me a therapy bill and just tell me. If you're not, I may have, I may have the, you know, go off that. Go off the whole page number thing. Um... Okay, last up this week, Oracle. And I like this company. Um, you know, they're, uh, they're out there. You hear a lot about your Bill Gates, you know, and your, uh, your Steve Jobs, you know, popular guy, who I love, by the way. He's my hero, i got to say. Um, but Larry Ellison, you do hear about him, but then you forget. But no, he's, he's in there. He's been in there since the beginning uh, in this industry, and uh, he's, uh, I guess, a pretty interesting guy. And he's got this company, Oracle, and they've got databases that people love. And I don't know how to work Oracle, nor will I likely ever know how, but I do know the value of a database, and I have spoken to people who love Oracle and I feel the passion. Again, I'm thinking switching cost. Uh, I'm thinking price increase potential. And those sorts of things. It's a franchise. And they must do something better than other people. And I don't need to know anything more than I'm looking at their operating margin. So as I've said on past shows, 40% operating margin. And it goes way back. It's not a new thing. They just get that. So that means that their costs are 60%, their operating profit on the dollar, okay, of sales, their costs are 60%, their profit is 40%. So that means their markup, if everything costs them 60, then they mark it up another 40, okay? So four over six, that's two thirds, right? That is a 68% markup on cost. So if you can mark things up 68% just because you want to, and the reason I know it's because they want to is because it's so stable. 
if it was some kind of market price or some kind of commodity, it'd be moving all over the place. But no, you've got Oracle guys out there just going, that's our price. So that's pricing power. And, uh, you know, it looks like they have a consistent price increase. Their returns on capital, um, you know, they're respectable. And I'd say over time they are great. But they've been consistently dipping from the 30s, 30%, you know, back 10 years ago to now 20%. And when you think about that, I often think about the delta on that. So it's, the, it's not just that they're 20% now, it's that they're down 20% from 10 years ago. So that means that their returns on the new capital they've been putting to work um, and you can do the math on this yourself, but and I, but I don't want to personally. But their sales have tripled over the period, and their returns on capital are now 20%. So, uh, and back then, they were uh, double that on a third of the sales. So I think that tells you that the margin on the incremental is like half. And I'm not doing the math, so that's just me completely just knowing it's roughly that, you know, that, um, and that's, so that means something's going on, and I don't know what. They probably have had to get more competitive. Maybe they have had to invest in, uh, who knows? I mean, that could be a sign of overpaying for even real estate and big buildings and campuses and all that, because their margin's rock solid. So what are they investing in that's uh, not driving a return? You know, again, that'd just be me guessing. R&D, uh, things they're trying to invent that aren't coming through, you know, I don't know. But it's certainly worth asking them or talking about uh, with, with an analyst. But that doesn't you know, particularly alarm me because, again, like I was saying on the last stock, if the returns continue to go down, you just write something off. Something's impaired, and it means you'd have the wrong number for assets. So I'm looking at the margin. It's rock stable. And so uh, this company is selling at a nearly a 20% discount. They've had some near-term issues because of the acquisition of Sun, but they're combining the Oracle database with Sun hardware. And um, evidently, according to ValueLine, you know, that's proving to be a pretty good combination out there. Um, let's see, I wrote some notes here. Uh, no, you know what? I really didn't. I didn't. Uh, I wrote some on Pfizer I didn't talk about. Um, but the thing I see on Oracle is just, I think, because of the, um, you know, the attention to the acquisition, it was a little bit drawn out. People lost confidence maybe that it was going to happen, and, you know, there's a lot of tension about it. Well, it has happened, and maybe there's some cost to cut. Maybe that'll have returns. Who knows? But... On an enterprise value to EBITDA basis, this thing is pretty attractive. It's trading at about, uh, let's see, I did this math again in my kitchen. But I've got $120 billion in enterprise value. And I'm going to divide that by an operating margin of $14 billion. And so, what, that's uh, about nine times a little less than that. So that's a 12, let's call it a 12% return on capital if we bought the company, you know, as if we had $120 billion around. But, you know, so one of these uh, sovereign funds, sovereign wealth funds, they have that much. 
So if they bought this thing, uh, they would earn a 12% return in their capital. And then according to value line, they're going to grow 12% earnings a year. So that means my value is going up 12% a year. That gets me into the mid-20s. And again, that's comparable to a bond yield or a treasury you know, yield, a muni yield, a CD yield. Truly is apples to apples. And that's a pretty good return. So uh, Oracle, what else can I say? Not much. Um, looks cheap, cheaper than it's been in some time. Looks like some type of opportunity. Um, what do they, uh, let's see here. Just paging through what they say, if there's any near-term catalyst. Um, you know, going forward, there's going to be a lot of cost coming out of the uh, Sun deal. And that's probably going to drive earnings growth faster than people think. But it looks to me like just a bargain, um, you know, at, uh, at this level. Oracle, ticker ORCL. And I got to go. I'm falling asleep. It's middle of the night here in the middle of nowhere. So thanks for tuning in. Favorite stock this week. I think Accenture, ticker what? I don't know. Let me look. You know, I don't know. You'll have to look that up yourself. And that's all this week from the Value Guys. Thanks for listening, everybody.